Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Hi, I'm John from Lister Newton, and you're listening to the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. John, tell us a little bit about your business story and its history. Yeah, sure. Uh, The business is called Lister Newton Advisory. Uh, It was founded in 1976, so my father, um, Kieran Liston, founded it. Um, We have our origins in northwest region of Victoria, so up in the farming areas up there. Um, We still do have two offices based out of there um, in the towns up there, Donald and uh, Donald and Hopeton. Um, but the modern version of it, we've grown uh, into more of a kind of financial services business. So we now have um, uh, over 30 team members. We've got four offices um, throughout Victoria, our main office um, down here in Melbourne. Um, and we really sort of essentially focus on small business owners. So uh, it all kind of starts with that tax and accounting. Um, and then we build that into the, the business advice, bookkeeping, wealth planning and lending. So we, we do take that uh, holistic advice approach. Excellent. So give us an overview of your team structure. How many team members have you got locally versus um, offshore and how long have most of the team members been with you? Yeah, sure. So we've um, got uh, just on 23 team members uh, locally. Um, we do have five in, our, in the tower office with you. Uh, we've got another four um, in our original um, formation of offshoring in um, in India currently as well. So um, in terms of our experience with Toa, I think we kicked off in about 2017. Um, but our, our kind of history of outsourcing goes all the way back to about 2008. So we have been at it quite a, quite a long time. Um, and yeah, I mean, some of our original staff members here in, in Melbourne have been with us over, you know, some over 10 to, 10 to 15 years. So do you want to talk a little bit about that, I suppose, your journey of um, that you've been on with outsourcing and then, I suppose, moving into having an offshore team with us. What were the motivations behind, obviously, you've been doing it a long time, so what were the original motivations? And then what were some of the motivations to transition across to the model that we obviously do? Yeah, um, look, I actually wasn't around for the original motivations, but I mean, I do know, you know, they sort of predate my, my time at the business. Um, but I do know, I mean, it definitely was around, you know, efficiency, it was around, I mean, we, we like to think of ourselves as pretty forward forward thinking. Um, and that, you know, that model of, of doing that more repetitive work, um, you know, was, was the main part of the original uh, consideration back in, back in 2008. Um, I mean, it was the offshoring model, so it was the outsourced model. So it really was just send the work over get it done, a uh, bunch of queries come back, send it back. So it really wasn't the the offshore model. It's funny actually, because I mean, I look at your journey, Nick, I mean, I think, you know, we've actually been at it 12 years and I look at what you built, you know, once you got a, got a handle on the power of it, um, obviously within your own business and then what you're able to build. Um, it sort of frustrated me, you know, when we were five, six years in and we sort of, we hadn't really, I think, grasped it. We hadn't really got it got it working. Um, we knew that there was efficiencies there. We knew that, that it was definitely um, a good way to build capacity and, and, a, and a fairly cost effective way. But 
yeah, it wasn't really until I think about 2016 that we made a decision that we wanted to pursue that more offshore model where we had the, had the, uh, the offshore people really part of the team and not just sending work across. Um, and that's when it's really sort of kicked into gear for us over the last, um, the last three years. Excellent. So how did you go about getting set up? I suppose ultimately you were outsourcing um, in India originally. So how did you go about finding us, I suppose, researching it and then going through that process and how was that process? Yeah, uh, well, actually listening to someone else on the uh, on, on the podcast and I think you've got, you definitely owe uh, Rob, Rob Nixon a couple of, couple of beers because it, it came by him as well. Uh, we were part of the the coaching club up there in uh, up there in Brisbane. I think that was as far back as 2015. I think he might have mentioned you. I think I might have seen you at maybe a zero roadshow um, at some stage across there. So the name kind of popped up twice. And when that, that tends to happen, you, you you know you tend to dig a bit deeper. Um, and I think we were. I mean, I think we we're getting a little bit frustrated with with the results that we had um, with the outsource model. So we were kind of looking around as to what we do, do we do it in uh, Vietnam? Do we do it um, you know, with another provider in India? Um, and then obviously the kind of Philippine side of thing. But I think, yeah, I think given that you had that Australian base, that, that was definitely um, a big advantage. Um, so that ability to communicate with, with, with someone here um, whilst having the, having the team over there. Um, but we kind of knew what we're doing. I mean, we had a lot of systems and processes set up. So for us, it wasn't a big leap of faith. That work was done back in two, 2008. Uh, it was more just, I guess, making sure that we could partner with a long-term operator and, and get that more, um, I think, embedded structure so that, you know, we could actually be really hiring people and developing their career rather than just doing that, that offshore model. Yeah, no, that's, it's an interesting journey, I suppose, particularly when you've done it in multiple countries and you had the process and system, it's definitely, it does help. So, John, someone um, wanting to set up an offshore team, one of the biggest challenges that we find um, a lot of uh, existing clients but also prospects have challenges with is what type of work do they get their team members to start doing from the start? So what advice would you give to someone that is starting this process on what work to give their offshore team to start with? Yeah, we, um, we've never taken the approach of necessarily just giving them one particular task or, or just doing one sort of, um, you know, piece of work again and again and again. I mean, the way that we have approached it is to, um, is to really proceduralise every job. Um, so the way we do it is to, um, you know, if we take on board a new, a new client, we'll do that work once here in Australia. So we'll have one of our senior accountants do the job. Um, as they're doing the job in that first year, they'll write out a system and a process um, and a procedure to do that job. Um, and then from years two, three, four onwards, um, that job is then you know, sent to our, our offshore team to then complete from there. So I think the idea really, I mean, where, where to start? I mean, maybe you might start at the more kind of basic jobs that aren't too, too complex, um, but we do take that approach that, um, you know, really every job should have that, that goal of, of um, actually being done offshore um, and then you know really getting it over there and probably not trying to perfect it as well I mean being prepared that there's going to be some errors and there's going to be some queries and um, you know as you sort of get get started but obviously it's just like any other any other team member the more work you get over the more feedback you give um, the quality of work improves 
And that really leads into the next question around what advice would you give them about training a new team member? Um, what have you done that's worked well um, during the process? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about systems and processes. It's probably a pretty boring answer, but it, it really is not being vague about the, um, about the uh, instructions that you actually give. Um, we have our team members be part of a, a daily huddle. So, you know, they're, they're in the, the, what we would call a team meeting huddle every morning. They're in our all firm huddle as well that we have every morning as well. So they are part of the team. Um, I think the big part about it in terms of a, a tip in terms of training them up would be um, to break down that cultural divide and actually get them to ask questions and, and to admit when they don't know things as well. Um, we learned that a lot, particularly with the Indian culture as well, that, that fear of being seen as though they don't know the answer or, or, you know, they'd probably prefer to make an error than they would to kind of speak up and actually ask a question. So I think making them feel really comfortable to, to put their hand up and say that they, say that they don't know something. Um, but it really is about that more sort of daily communication um, and, and having the kind of systems and processes that they can then follow um, to actually com complete the job. So it sort of leads into what would be, I suppose, the top three tips you would have for managing an offshore team? So you mentioned a few then around obviously systems of process and, and that meeting rhythms. What other tips would you give to someone that's new to this journey? Yeah, I think in terms of managing it, look, I mean, I guess it depends on the size of the firm that you are, but uh, definitely the person that's going to oversee it, I think, is, is really important. We discovered that pretty early on, that you might, um, you know, let's say that you decided to go down the path of doing it and, you know, as the owner, you weren't necessarily the person that was going to oversee the day-to-day. -day. I mean, I certainly know that I'm not, um, I'm not the person communicating with our team members every single day. Um, but you've got to put someone in there that really believes in the, in the model. Um, you know, someone that the person you do put in charge of actually wants to see that uh, succeed. Um, we found that certain people actually didn't want it to succeed. They, they preferred to keep doing what they were doing. Um, you know, and some, some of the people that we had previously helping to, to manage um, the team members over there didn't really want to see them succeed or, or, or weren't fully um, weren't fully invested in it. So I think that's a big one. Make make sure that everyone is aligned to that. Um, and as I said, don't try and sort of perfect it. Um, you know, don't try and get it absolutely right from the from the get go. But um, yeah, in terms of managing it, it's it's that it's it's. I think the tip really is to um, to have that open communication. I think the other part is probably working out the technology stack that you'd actually use. So getting that right as well. Um, so whether using, you know, Zoom or using Microsoft Teams, um, making sure you've got some way to kind of communicate them, communicate with them over video, um, you know, and then having some sort of technology that you can communicate back and forth. Um, and we've used various ones along the way, such as Trello and Asana and Slack and all that sort of thing, but making it really easy other than just, you know, if you're just flicking across emails with, with work to do, um, it's going to be nowhere near as effective as if they're part of the team, you're seeing them every day. And um, yeah, you, you, if they've got a quick, a quick question, they can quite easily jump on Slack or you know, jump on another project manager tool. Um. So how do you measure the success of the offshore team? What KPIs do you use? Yeah, the, um, the KPIs that we use, the offshore team is really no different to the KPIs and the measure of success um, that we have for our, our, our onshore team. So we have what's called a scorecard um, for every team member where they know exactly what's expected of them. Um, there's objective measures on what that success is. 
Um, I mean, I wouldn't say there's any one particular similar KPI for everyone, but I mean, from the accounting point of view, um, it's obviously around the, the main ones of how many invoices go out the door, you know, the sort of dollar value that they're actually producing every month. Um, but we also have, you know, we've got a fairly varied team with our, off, our offshore team. So we've got bookkeepers, we've got a financial advice admin assistant, and then we have a kind of sales and on, onboarding uh, assistant there as well. So they're all different, but um, I guess probably the key learn out is it, it's no different to, you know, their, their reviews that we have. We, we still have our annual reviews. We still have our monthly feedback sessions. Um, so, you know, the way that we're treating our offshore staff is really no, no different. Um, and the feedback loop is no different to our, to our onshore staff. Excellent. So if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value that the offshore team provides, what would it be? I definitely think it's time. Um, I think it's time in a lot of senses. It's time in, in the sense of time that you get back, um, you know, time that you're, um, you actually then have available and capacity that you, you then have available to do other things. Um, I think it's also kind of turnaround time of, of jobs. So if you ever do have those jobs or tasks that come in and they absorb a lot of your time in your, in your onshore office, you then have that capacity to then quickly say, well, okay, I need our offshore team to now, now focus on this. So you, you can actually be, be a lot quicker in the way that you respond if, if something comes up uh, urgently, because you've got that, you've got that extra time uh, up your sleeve. So, yeah, for for me, it's about that. It's about creating creating more more time um, and and adding value elsewhere because you've created that extra time for yourself. So the next question I'm going to ask is a little bit left field. Is do you have a people strategy mapped? And if you do or you don't, either way, what do you really see the ratio being longer term with the onshore team versus the offshore team? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I could pretend to make it up and say that we do have a people strategy match, but <laughs> I'll be honest and say that, um, say that we don't. I mean, I think there's a couple of things to, to sort of answer that. I mean, I still think you need senior accounts and advisors to review the work and, and, and to be that client um, consultant. So there's always a place for them. And I think you still need your junior staff coming through here as well, learning the job and doing those ad hoc tasks that kind of pop up. Um, but I think I feel from an accounting point of view, you know, I could probably see the sort of two senior accountants in your offshore team and one senior accountant in your onshore team. So probably a two to one ratio I could see working well um, if you really were sort of getting a lot of work done um, and you had some good, good quality team members on your offshore team. Um, you, you could be really churning through the work at, at that rate. Um, and I think probably it's different from an admin point of view. I mean, I think from an admin point of view, it's almost one, it's sort of one-to-one -one from that point of view that, and I certainly know with our financial advice, admin assistant, you know, we'd have one assistant um, over, in, um, over in our Philippines office that, that essentially does that more back office um, compliance work. And I think, you know, you, you'd probably do that on the accounting side as well. It'd be a one-to-one one -one ratio on that, on that side of things. Excellent. So the year ahead, what is the plan with the offshore team? How do you plan to keep growing their capability, their performance and ultimately growing the team? Yeah, I think the plan for us is probably just what I mentioned then. I think um, admin is probably our, our next focus. Um, 
you know, I think at the moment, uh, and the way we sort of structure our business is that we have, we break it down into, into teams. So, you know, each team within our business is responsible for about 1.3 to 1.5 million worth of, worth of fees. And each team has a dedicated sort of client services manager or, you know, admin, admin person. So um, I think the plan for us would be, I mean, at the moment, um, they're essentially just getting bogged down now with paperwork, with those lodgements, the back office tasks and all sort of, speaking about previously. So I, I could see the next kind of efficiency gain for us would be to have um, an offshore admin assistant that purely did that real compliance based back office, tax office compliance stuff and freed up our onshore admin team to be more client facing. I think um, that kind of admin paperwork stuff hasn't gone away. Um, even with all the new tech that you have, even with all the software, you still do a hell of a lot of paperwork. You still do a hell of a lot of, you know, filing, even though it's sort of, you know, it's, it's cloud-based filing, you still got to get it, get it done properly. So, I mean, it's has had an impact on our client service, I think, um, in that it's definitely been instances where the admin team don't want the phone to ring because they're so busy with a mountain of stuff to do. Um, and that's just a terrible outcome for our, our clients that no one really wants to pick up the phone. Um, so I think we've got to work to, to free our admin team up so that they actually are happy to speak to the client. They're happy to sit on the phone with the client um, because that's going to definitely create a better, a better outcome for us and for the client. And that probably leads me straight into the next question. How has offshoring benefited your clients? Yeah, I think it's that. I mean, I think, I think it's one would be, um, Definitely, and look, I don't think that we're there yet, but if it is successful, then we definitely should be better at client service. We, we should be able to try to rush to sort of get them off the phone because we've got to get, get back to that, that amount of paperwork. So I think being more people focused and it's the working progress for us. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give, us a, give us a tick there. Um, where I probably would give it a tick though is if a client says, well, I need to get a home loan done or I need, I need these financials done you know, in the next couple of days. It is what I spoke about before. It's that extra uh, capacity that, that you've got where you can say, well, okay, we're going to now move what we were doing to our offshore team. We're going to pick up that, that client's work and we're going we're gonna to get it done, get it done quickly. So um, I think as it builds, I think what it will do though is it will allow us to scale and not degrade the quality of client service. Um, and we have been growing quite a bit and I would say in some instances that client service has degraded when you do scale. So I think that's where the offshore team come in. Um, they can kind of pick up that, that slack so that you can actually keep working on how you serve the client. Which leads, I suppose, into my next question, which is really around has um, having an offshore team contributed to giving you and the local team more time back at that work-life balance. I don't know if those are the right words, but has it given your team locally more time back by having a global team? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, not me personally, because not not involved. Um, I, don't, I don't really have much work-life balance either. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of enjoy the work enough that, it, that I'll let it blend into everything. But look, I, I think it, um, it's probably more less work-life balance, but I, I think it benefits our team by advancing them to learn other skills. So it's probably more the balance that our team here aren't just stuck in the same role for three years, um, doing the same compliance work, doing the same data entry stuff. I think it gives them better skills, better capability, so better capabilities 
kind of, if you're going to use the word balance, it's balancing out their roles, you know, so they're less focused on that back end work um, and they're more focused on, you know, that sort of solution focus for, for clients. So it does allow you that time back to actually put training into your staff here um, to make them a better client facing um, consultant, so to speak. So that's how I would probably use the word balance. You know, I love hearing those sort of stories. So has offshoring had a positive effect to the business um, from a profitability point of view? Yeah, I mean, definitely. We wouldn't be having the conversation today, Nick, if, if you know, there wasn't some sort of profit gain from there. Um, you know, you're not going to do it if it's, if it's going to cost you money. I think for us, it's about gross, gross profit margins. Um, I mean, that's one of our KPIs. You know, we're speaking about KPIs before. That's a KPI for our, for our team limit, for our team leaders. So... You know, we get them to manage the, the, the gross profit, the GP in each of their teams. So they're actually incentivized to use offshoring. If they need another staff member, then it'll be, well, they've got to kind of protect their own gross profit margins. Um, and then they can then see how, how much easier it is to achieve their GP target if they're using their, their offshoring. So certainly from a gross profit point of view, if, if we need to get an extra two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars worth of work done, um, then it's it's going to be a lot more profitable to do that um, with a with a senior accountant over in um, over in the Philippines. Yeah, great. So, what's the biggest myth or objection you've heard about having an offshore team, and is it true? Yeah, I think it's probably. I'm not sure how much you've heard it, but it's it's sort of what I was talking about before as well, and it's that myth that by doing offshore work, you know, you're taking away that opportunity from an Australian applicant or a US applicant or, or wherever your kind of home base is. But um, that idea that you know you somehow um, it's the wrong thing to do because it's 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 not allowing someone else an opportunity, and I, I just disagree with that. I mean, I think number one, it's a global world anyway um, and number two I mean if you do do it successfully you actually grow um, and there's plenty of opportunity to, to provide to other Australians or other local applicants as well it's just not the same type of work as I said before it's more that consultation work it's more that face-to-face -face work um, I mean I, I'd compare it to saying that you know in the 1980s or 1990s you're deciding to not to use a uh, computer because you want to you know, protect the role of a data entry uh, specialist. I mean, you, you, it's, I just don't think that's a way to be a good business owner to say that you're not going to look at it because you want to kind of protect your own patch. I think you've got to look at it from a bigger picture point of view and see that it actually creates opportunities both for people in the Philippines, but it creates a lot of opportunities here. You know, I definitely like that one. It's always an interesting one to hear and, and your take on it is, is 100% right. So. John, on behalf of, I suppose, all the listeners listening to this and myself, thank you so much for all the value that you've been able to contribute today. And as I've taken a ton of notes, which is, which is awesome. So for anyone that wanted to reach out and get in contact with you, what would be the best and quickest way for them to um, learn more about you? Yeah, uh, probably the website's best. We've got a, a website listed in Newton Advisory um, that's uh, got all the contact details there. And I'm also on uh, LinkedIn, uh, just under John Liston. Excellent. We'll put all those in the show notes. So thank you again, John. Really appreciate all the advice and um, contribution that you made today. Thanks, Nick. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. 
To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.